Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Make Contain Trace of Soy, the podcast all about surviving and thriving on a plant-based, zero-waste lifestyle. I'm your host, Rochelle, and if you're new around here, welcome to the podcast. So psyched to have you listening today. If you are a regular listener, welcome back, guys. Really feeling the love lately. So this week, we're going to be doing an interview with Claire Mann which is super exciting. We're going to be talking about mental health. We're going to be talking about being vegan in a non-vegan world. So we're going to be bringing that interview to you in just a moment. But I just wanted to say that if you are new around here, just click that subscribe button. And if you are on Apple Podcasts or iTunes today, go ahead and leave us a little rating or a review. We love to know what you think about the podcast and it really helps to support the podcast. So if you are enjoying, please go ahead and do that. If you are new around here, you won't know this, but we do do shout outs on this show. So you can hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. We are Make Contain Traces of Soy and we will do a shout out for you on the next show. You can ask us questions. You can suggest topics or guest recommendations, whatever you'd like to hear. Just let us know and we'll definitely do a shout out for you. And now let's get into this week's episode. I am so excited to bring this week's episode to you guys. We're going to be talking about mental health, effective communication in your vegan activism, and being vegan in a non-vegan world. And I am lucky enough to be joined this week by Claire Mann from Sydney. Claire is a psychologist. She is an existential psychotherapist, an author, and a communications trainer. So she runs a private vegan psychology practice in Sydney, as well as working with vegans all over the world by Skype and FaceTime. She's the author of numerous books, including Vistopia, The Anguish of Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World, and her new book, Myths of Choice, Why People Won't Change and What You Can Do About It. Claire has created the Vegan Voices 30-Day Training to Communicate Veganism and is the co-founder of the Sydney Vegan Club 30-Day Vegan Challenge and contributor to the book's plant-based women and everyday vegans. As a passionate animal rights campaigner, she provides skills training to help vegans and animal advocates communicate more effectively and animal welfare organizations to collaborate for increased effectiveness. Claire, thank you for being on the podcast and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here and thank you for everything you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you on. I think that it's a really interesting area talking about mental health and vegan activism. I know so many friends who have gotten involved in a lot of animal activism. 
and the scars that that leaves on them. It's really real and it's very intense. So I'm really excited to get into today's topic. But before we jump right into that, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about your vegan story and how you went vegan and then incorporated that vegan message and that activism into your life moving forward from there. Thank you. Well, we can have the long version or the short version. <laughs> and uh, I think we've all got those, haven't we? Because how do we, in such a short amount of time, talk about seeds that have probably been planted many, many years ago? And as for me, that, that definitely was the case. So I've been vegan for over 10 years. And prior to that, I was vegetarian for 30 years. Now, I honestly believed I was doing the right thing. And to a large extent, I was. I made that decision based on information I'd found out about how animals are treated in, in slaughterhouses. And as a result of that, I gave up meat effectively. But nobody told me about dairy and eggs and fish and those sort of things. But I honestly believed I was not causing harm because, after all, they're byproducts, aren't they? Or we believe they are. And the reality is they're not. And somebody once pointed out to me, since I've been vegan, actually, when we become vegetarian, we save the parents. When we become vegan, we save the children as well. And because these are young chickens, little chicks, these are, um, I think a lot of your listeners in your own sort of work you're showing all, you'll give a bit of a background, of course, to the animal agricultural industry and mm. the imperative of being vegan. But 10 years ago, I was living in New Zealand and my partner and I had gone there to live off the grid and build an earth sheltered house. And we were living there and two things I became aware of is one night there was this terrible howling and being the people we are, we didn't just leave that and turn the music up. We went to investigate and we came across the hunting culture in New Zealand. In Australia, of course, we have kangaroos and pigs hunted. There, it's a really strong culture particularly in the South Island where I was living. And we came across pig dogs that had been thrown back into cages with wounds. Um, it was minus seven degrees and their paws were stuck to the bottom of the cages with no shelter. And I was horrified thinking that this was just a terrible neighbor and I had all the animals taken away. But unfortunately, the law being as it is, they cleaned up the prisoners' conditions and got them back. So I started to feel a little bit uneasy with that question that I keep asking people, what else don't we know? And then one day I came back to my home and there was this awful crying of cows and they were bellowing and they were crying and crying and crying and crying. It actually went on, Rochelle, for 30 hours with not, without any stop at all. What on earth could be wrong with these cows? So again, we investigated because at the 30 hour mark almost, they all stopped immediately. And I honestly can say I've never heard such a deafening silence because you've got this anxiety and panic and fear and pain that you can, you know, you don't have to speak cow language to know that. And so I investigated and I realized that the babies have been taken from their mothers because guess what? We want the colostrum, we want the milk, we want to put them into the process. And I was horrified because I was eating Parmesan cheese and although a little bit because I had actually had an eczema due to, I thought I was allergic to dairy products, but I found out I wasn't a baby cow later on. <laughs> and as we all sort of say, but I was horrified because I thought, well, I just would have been lied to. And then I felt a little bit silly. I thought if you keep milking cows, as I've been told, they just produce more. So this is surplus to what they give their babies. That is how powerful, as you know, the conditioning is. And I investigated more and I found the horror really of these industries. Long story short, my partner and I came back to live in Australia 
And my very wise partner, Brendan, said, it can't just be New Zealand. So he started to do some research. Could not believe, he didn't know what he was about to find out. He watched a lot of videos, sat down with me and said, Claire, we've got to watch these. So we did. And my whole family went vegan on the spot because there was no way we couldn't. We did not want to be part of that process. And the most hidden secret, Rochelle, I think, is that if it was the worst diet on the earth, I would have done it because it's wrong. I suddenly find out that a, a balanced whole food plant-based diet is not only a possible diet, it is the most healthful diet. And then the effects on environment and everything, I suddenly realized, well, there's no bad news here. And so <laughs> that's my vegan journey. And that sort of was about just over 10 years ago. Wow. That's so fantastic. I think as so many of us who don't start from a place of wanting to do the right thing by the animals from that place of animal activism, wind up there as a result of doing the research around that. So a lot of vegans who, cause I started, you know, about nine months ago because I wanted to do something for the planet because sustainability is a real issue for me. And I really, really worry about where the world's headed and it does make such a huge impact and then once I did it, once I made the change and I started going, okay, I'm going to take the blinders off and really investigate and see where I sit and how I personally feel about the agricultural industry, about all the different things, you know, is there any ethical meat? All those kinds of questions. I really wanted to research and find out for myself. And, oh, it just breaks your heart. Like, I think so many people feel that way. And once you do see it, once you yeah. confront it, there's just no turning away from it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting. Well, look, thank you for giving me a bit of background on that. So you were working as a psychologist at this time, 10 years ago when you went vegan? Absolutely. I'd been working as a psychologist for over 20 years at the time and originally from England. And so I'd had a circuitous career working mainly as an organizational psychologist, actually. That was my first training. So I was working in organizations with teams and culture change and recruitment and selection and, and all those sort of things. Um, and that was an interesting journey. Again, I thought this is great. And then behind closed doors, um, senior managers or CEOs would say to me, well, now we've got you in here to talk about this stuff. Could you help me? My life's falling apart. <laughs> but they would never admit it to, you know, no, we can't go and talk to the doctor about this or anything. But they felt I was mature or Actually, I'm going to say it masculine enough because it was organizational psychology that it wasn't, you know, all that soft stuff talking about feelings. And but they were talking about who can I talk to? I feel I've got my ladder up against the wrong building. And I realized at that point I didn't have the skills to take them on the journey they wanted me to take. You know, I wasn't trained as a therapist. And so I retrained um, in existential psychotherapy and counseling, <laughs> which is a, a very robust training. It was over four years and I had to be in therapy myself. And the term existentialism, of course, is it's what it is to exist. And it was a, what I, the reason I chose that methodology is I had always been very philosophical. And I also realized I wanted something that had a robust enough training, but had a huge dose of passion. Because I believe we, we can't cure ourselves of life. People are going to be anxious. They're going to have loss. They're going to be depressed when their family die, their parents or something. We don't want to stamp this out and say it's abnormal. Obviously, there are dysfunctional, abnormal aspects if somebody you know, is not able to get out of bed in the morning and you know, there's not these external factors happening, not in the immediate present time. But I realized that, you know, we can't cure people of life. So doing that training, and then I, I really started working as a counseling psychologist. 
And then what was interesting, I had all those organizational people coming to me and saying, lovely, I can talk about my life falling apart. Well, come on, if you could help me with my organization. <laughs> <laughs> and so if people see uh, my email, it's, it's Communicate 31. And that's the grouping under which I've, I started to talk about how do we communicate with ourselves make conscious our unconscious drivers and then also communicate with others 31 days a month so that's how that whole background came so that went on for about 20 years so i'd already been firmly entrenched in dealing with people with with their personal challenges in lives before i became a vegan mm. and um that background obviously then fed into some of the research that you've been doing more recently because you know you go to your page and you are the vegan psychologist and it's a vegan psychology practice and you've written the book, Vistopia. So let's talk a little bit about Vistopia and about some of the common, I guess, psychological challenges that vegans face. Like what's uniting the experience that vegans have in this world? Absolutely. So it did fall into that quite naturally, Rochelle, largely because when I became a vegan, I became an activist. And then people sought me out and said, well, I only want to talk to a vegan because you understand the horror story that is being kept from us. And so I called myself a vegan psychologist. So I started to see a lot of people that were coming to me, you know, vegans have all the normal problems of life. And then we just throw this extra thing on top called Vistopia, which at the time didn't have a name. But there was a commonality amongst the challenges that people were talking about to me. And they would talk about, I can't believe that this goes on. I'm so pained by the institutionalized, systematized cruelty towards animals. But secondly, that people are capable of doing this. And then thirdly, that people don't know. And when you tell them, they actually either deny it or say the government would never allow it. So there's like this madness that goes on for the, the vegan who says, well, look, I, I wish I never found this stuff out because I'm not a bad person telling you this should not be going on. Mm. And so people started to come together and I guess the common uniting thing was a, a deep empathy with the suffering of others. You know, it's very rare. If not, it's never really happened. No one's going to come to me and say, I'm deeply traumatized by being told I've got a fussy diet. That doesn't tend to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, people have all sorts of diet. We don't lambast people who are gluten free. You know, it's so uh, gluten intolerant. When people come and they say, it's even not about me. You know, this is about this horrific suffering that's happening to animals and it's right in plain sight we're doing it three times a day we are paying for somebody to be the hitman and we mm. didn't even know so the more people came to see me these sort of symptoms came up that in theory could have been attributed to other things and you know when people come to see a therapist people might dig around for a long time to try and find out what is it that is causing you to have no hope in life how is it you can't get over the loss of that you know how much meaning do you have in your life and you've made all this money but what if we, we dig around and we try to look at those different factors but when these vegans came to see me they knew what their pain was they said well yeah i've got other problems as well and people do see me for those but they said my biggest anxiety and pain is that i can't live in a world that systematizes and allows so much agony and, and people that i otherwise love my family um are contributing to this so there were, it's, that's the key sort of thing that unites people. And then in turn, they say, well, now I find out is how much this, this lifestyle of non-veganism is damaging people's health. That 
you know, there is evidence out there that a whole food plant-based diet will reverse the things like heart disease. You know, rather interesting when that information has been given to the medical authorities, they won't publish it or and, and talk about it in a wide sense because mm. it doesn't fit. We start to then see, you know, where funding comes from. We start to see corruption and that causes more anxiety for the vegan because they say, well, look, I've just uncovered this. What else? So yeah. those are the key sort of things that um, so it's the anguish about the animals. It's the fact that people otherwise good people are denying this or not even prepared to open their eyes to look at it and make informed decisions. And then it's, oh, what else don't I know if I didn't know this? And then, of course, you're called a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're definitely seeing more of a general acceptance of the realities of you know, the plant-based diet being better for your health. I think that people are coming to accept that as a fact, and we're seeing it published in more places. We're definitely seeing how the effects on the environment are so great. And with the climate change debate that we've been having in the past, you know, year, especially that's been pushed out in so many more places and you see that everywhere. But the one thing that you don't see addressed as much is the realities of the animal agricultural industry, because it's just the part that, people really don't want to wrap their heads around. But do you think, you know, out of interest that there's a bit of a marrying in the way that vegans experience Vistopia in the way that climate change um, affects people with that eco-anxiety, where we have this fear that the world is crumbling around us, that it's not going to be a livable place in a number of decades, that that fear that permeates. Mm -hmm. And for so many young people, especially who are aware of this, and they are involved in that climate activism. There's just this, this underlying anxiety that it is in a way, and it's kind of true, a little bit too late to start fixing what they haven't fixed yet. Do you think that yeah. there is a similar instance there between the Vistopia experience by vegans and that eco-anxiety experience by climate change activists? Yeah, I think, it, I think it has a lot of similarities. It needs another word, doesn't it? And it probably is eco-anxiety in many ways because you've become aware of this and there is a deep anguish. And I think it's more difficult because if we show somebody kicking a dog, most people are going to, oh man, that's awful, I need to do something. And if they see a baby calf that happening to, most people will say, this is not okay. Mm. And if that many slaughterhouse workers have to compartmentalize their feelings because they're like, I'm going to abandon my family and this is the only job in the village or sort of thing. But, you know, Mm. so most people are affected. When we talk about the environment, it's kind of out there for people. It's like far away. So they can push that away a little bit more. It's out there, but they also, a part of that is you may not feel that your immediate actions will have an effect. You know, you can stop kicking the dog or you can take the stick away from someone or you can influence people to stop buying sticks to hit dogs and cats and and calves with. But when it comes to environment, there's a, a bit of a longer game in many ways. However, we know overwhelmingly with environmental destruction that our animal agriculture is, is the, um, if not the, one of the two, right at the top of the biggest contributors, more than all the planes, trains, and automobiles. Mm. That fact in itself should stop people in their tracks, particularly if they have any regard for their children or grandchildren, even if they don't care about themselves. You know, yeah. So I think there's that deep anguish, absolutely. There's the next bit is that people don't take it seriously. And then you're, oh, don't be so fussy. You're always were a sensitive person, weren't you? And then there's, well, what else don't we know? If that's being hidden, are politicians really interested? Where's the backhanders? Where's corporations? And then I think there is a similarity. We just need a different name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to come up with one. 
Um, I think so. Let's come up with one on the show. We'll workshop <laughs> it. We'll workshop it. Uh, one other thing I'd love to ask you about, because you are an ethical vegan, and I'd love to know uh, what's your point of view about the possibility of growing meats? Because they've talked about this idea of growing meat in a lab from a cell. Now, if that cell is taken from an animal, technically this is an animal-derived product. So where do you think you would sit on the ethical quandary that that is? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Where do you think you'd sit on that? Yeah, that's right. It's such a difficult question, isn't it? In many ways for me, um, I won't eat that meat. (laughs) Mm. I, you know, if I had, um, if somebody, I rescued chickens and they created eggs, I wouldn't eat the eggs, even if they would went to waste because I think, well, I'm not prepared to let my eggs go. If I'm not using them, I'm not saying, Oh, well, anybody can have them if they want, Mm. because we put a sacredness around our own being, you know, often Mm. self-imposed and superior our speciesism, but you know, why would I want to treat anything differently? So on paper, (laughs) you know, it's, um, of course that, you know, I would say, well, we're still using animals. Mm. Um, so there's that element. However, we know that taking one cell in a petri dish and it is that much, it's the size of a sesame seed almost and growing meat that is going to certainly in the short term, save a lot of animals from intense suffering. Mm. However, if we still, apart from the fact that that is not a healthy thing for humans to be eating. We know this, this is really bad for them. This is not just a dietary choice in terms of, you know, if we can find a better way to cause less suffering, it's causing us suffering and illness. There's Mm -hmm. overwhelming evidence with that. So ethically, I would prefer that animals are not being butchered. And if one little sesame seed will do that because human beings won't make that leap, or at that stage, people are at different levels of consciousness. I would prefer that without a doubt. And I prefer people do that. I would prefer that people wake up to the ethical imperative where they say, I don't want to use them at all. I want to go back doing probably what nature intended, <laughs> which was to eat, you know, a diet that is suited to our system. We're not suited to eat meat. We've got very different um, digestive systems. And we know that, you know, some Americans, and I'm sure it'll be Australians as well, die with kilos of undigested meat in their large intestine. We wonder why people are sick. Yeah. They're not meant to be doing this. So, yeah, I suppose that's where I stand on that one. Have I answered the question, do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just think it's an interesting topic. It's one I'd love to get, um, you know, one of the kind of university scientists on to talk about because yeah. it's an interesting, from an ethical standpoint, and I agree with you in that, 
it's just delaying the inevitable of we need to all move towards a more plant-based diet in order to really change what's happening in the world and <coughs> make things better. Yeah. So, but we don't live in an ideal world yet, do we? And uh, <laughs> we have to make that journey there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Myths of Choice, which is your new book that's coming out. Oh, that's out. Sorry, that came out in 2019. So I would love to hear a little bit more about that book and about how we can when we're talking to people who aren't vegan, how we can use our communication best to bring them around to that message in a way that they will be open to hear it. Absolutely. So the, I wrote that book actually in 2019 and it was launched at the Animal Rights Conference in Washington last year. And at this very moment, I meant to be on a book tour in Australia oh, <laughs> and, and New Zealand, but all of that got canceled. So that's probably why a lot of people haven't heard as much about it. But when people read Vistopia and they navigated a way through that, they found a way, because there's tools and techniques, as you know, they found, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Now there are tools and techniques we can do to transmute that pain into positive action for change. Like, you know, what you're doing, really, we all find our own thing. Some of us on the world stage, some of us, you know, take a vegan meal round to our, our place of work or whatever is people said, well, and then I've got some communication tools, but I tell people I'm more, I can do it now. And yet, why won't they change? I can even show them things. What is going on? Are these people psychopaths or are they, is there something else? And it was really my existential training that showed me that you're, I mean, you know, in the same way that you wake up one day as a vegan, really not so much with the diet, with the ethics and you go, oh my gosh, how is it possible that three times a day, right on my plate was something that now is so horrific to me, I paid for this. How, how can this happen? So we wake up and there's an existential shift. In other words, we woke up one day and everything that we believe to be true or in a certain way doesn't exist. But that's not just about veganism. You know, people find that when they emigrate or when they leave school or when their marriage breaks up or when, you know, their dad suddenly declares he's gay. You know, it's like, how is this possible? I believe the world was like this and it's not. So we're always going through the illusion that there is certainty and predictability and that this is an objective living thing that we come here for a while and then die and do things in the middle. But the reality is it is a subjective experience and it's co-created by interactions with each other and with our ideologies, with our cultures, that we co-create each other in many ways. And so when we're inviting people to change their diet, there is this visceral response often and why is that? We can do all the logic, all the facts. In fact, there's no argument against this. You could pick any of them and you'll win on all of them on paper. So why do people resist? And I believe that there, were, there are powerful social, cultural, familial, personal myths, unquestioned assumptions by which we live our lives to try and make it existentially robust. This is certain. Mm. So we say things like... Um, once I've made up my mind where I stand on things, I can, there's a place beyond that. I don't need to look any further. It's called the certainty myth. Okay. And people do that around politics. They do it around the choice of job they do. They do it around, oh, well, I'm too old now. You know, you get to a certain age, you can't do this. These are all illusions and myths. And then we talk to someone, oh yeah, I know what it's like, you know, and so we're all sort of reinforcing each other, but these are just myths. And then suddenly an 85 year old comes along, cures themselves of cancer and runs around the world. 
and we'd go, oh, yeah, but that's just a bit of an anomaly. You know, it's very strange that. No, it's not. It's just that we came to believe something else. And so in terms of getting people to change is we've got to realize there are a backcloth of unquestioned assumptions that cause people not to look any further. There's a group myth, an identity myth. I believe there are eight core myths that all of us are subject to, vegan or non-vegan. Is means that we, when we're talking to people, they have got a what we call a sedimented belief of how the world is and how their world is, and then what we're trying to do is it moves them away from that, as opposed to saying, "Well, look, you know, we just learned to eat this way. You know, in Australia, we don't eat dogs and cats, but in other countries, people go, what's your problem?' Mm. Yeah, but we're horrified, yeah. and um, and yet we don't think twice about eating um, cows, chickens, or pigs. This is just learned social cultural assumptions that it's okay to do that okay mm. and so in many ways um so i wrote the book to say to people we can either do it of having exquisite communication skills but even then people aren't necessarily going to change you've got to break through the trance of those assumptions and get people to get the haha moment that it's not that this is how the world is and i'm trying the vegans trying to get you to do something different is the fact that actually you have chosen that path within many in, infinite possibilities of how to be. And if you don't change knowing all the facts and knowing that what your choices are causing so much suffering to the animals, to environment, to your health, then it's because you are choosing it and you must take responsibility for that. You can't blame, oh, that's my culture. That's my age. That's my whatever. You have to wear that. Mm. Now, the vegan has to be, if a vegan goes in and says, hey, you have to wear it and be responsible, they'll probably clip them around the ear. So I get people on to go on the journey in this of choice is to go through our own assumptions. If I take you on a bit of a path through each of the chapters. There are about 50 individual exercises for you to get the ha-ha moments. Uh, can I, let me just give you one. The group myth yeah. is that it's better to be part of a group than 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 not okay now one of those groups beliefs is that we celebrate birthdays in australia okay and so i forget your birthday rochelle we're good friends and at some level because you go oh we usually do that she's forgotten me and you might put all sorts of meanings on that you might suggest that i don't care about you anymore i'm self-centered how could you do that but all of it is self-created by you because i may be a person say we've only just met this year for instance that actually i don't say i don't celebrate birthdays mm. but it doesn't mean that i don't regard our relationship but i don't use that as the vehicle to express it then the person goes away and says i can't believe they forgot my birthday or the partner says oh, i can't believe you've got valentine's day or wedding anniversaries anniversaries are wonderful thing they are socially constructed mm. you know they don't exist you know if you don't go around to your family at christmas in a Muslim culture, who cares? <laughs> you know, for instance, you see, if they're not celebrating that thing. So um, these, so it's getting people to realize that these are socially constructed. It doesn't mean that we don't, shouldn't, or celebrate birthdays, Christmases, whatevers, but it means that they are not set in stone in that we mustn't assume that someone who doesn't do that has a set of values, beliefs, or intentions which we're seeing it through the veil of our own eyes. So I get people to go through those um, lots of examples of where they say, oh, I must go and visit my family at the weekend. Good people would do that. Well, yeah, it's probably a nice thing to do, but you don't have to. And mm. you can't say to people, I have no choice. You mm. are choosing to do that. And you're choosing that over something else. And so I get people to really own it themselves to see the struggle that the non-vegan has when they're trying to, we're asking them to change something massive, which is what they eat. 
Hmm. Um, and I think it was Dr. Will Tuttle, a, a dear friend of mine who wrote the World Peace Diet. He said, and I've been thinking about this recently, eating is the probably the only thing we do with all our five senses. That's such a good point, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I hadn't really thought That's about right. that. That's right. So it's really big. It's like we see it, we hear it sizzle, we have memories of it, we've got our we touch it. It's we And taste it's connected it. to your olfactory senses. Yep. So there's that huge memory yeah. connection and that emotional connection that people have with certain scents and you know That's right. all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, true. Because when you smell popcorn, you think about the movies. So there you go. Or, you know, with the hot dog, you went there with, if you had a, that fortune to have that relationship with your dad, which is, you know, is that you were a young kid and you look up at your dad and he bought you a hot dog. People mm. don't want to abuse animals in sow crates, but they remember the it's situation with that. And so we're asking them to dare to change that. Actually, they can still have hot dogs and popcorn and everything else. They can, yeah. But that initial <laughs> shift is very hard for people because we're, and so I say to people, it's not that they're saying, okay, it's all right, I'm happy to, I'm not a selfish person that wants to hurt animals and my taste buds are more. It's more complex than that. So this is a choice, it's a journey I take people on. We can either do it at a superficial level or we go deeper because we're not always getting the results we want. And then when we get those ahas, ah, then we combine it with exquisite communication skills and we can break through that and start to get people to live with a little bit of the anxiety of change. Mm, yeah. I think, unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people who are aware of what happens in the agricultural industry yeah. and they have chosen to remain in that space of cognitive, cognitive um, dissonance because they don't want to change. They don't want to stop eating yeah. that food. They're too heavily connected to it. Um, and they think it's going to be hard. I think it's the part where they think it's going to be hard. It has never been easier to be vegan. So I was vegan 10 years ago for a couple of years and then, you know, wasn't anymore and then came back to it 10 years ago when I was vegan the first time around, that was much harder, <laughs> much, much oh, harder. Whereas yeah. now, you know, it's, oh my God, it's so easy. <laughs> it's the easiest uh, thing. It really is. But what is difficult is the meaning making behind it often. And I remember standing in a cube of truth once, um, only about a year ago, you know, holding up television screens and showing people in the street, you know, and there's different beliefs about, you know, the value of that. People come to veganism in many ways. And I was doing that at the time and I still support that sort of work. And this lady was horrified at what she saw and she was crying and saying, how is this possible and whatever and what can we do? that lovely question that vegans love to be asked, well, actually there's something you can do right away. You stop financing it, stop consuming it. Mm. And her face changed and I could see her starting to resist me. Now she had obviously been touched by it. She was hurt by it. She didn't want to be part of it. And now I'm telling her there's something she can do and it starts with what she buys and what she puts in her mouth. And I saw her body change and I said, hey, I'm a little bit confused because you obviously got a problem with this. You want the solution and yet I feel you're resisting. And she said, you know, my marriage is really in trouble. And I have an Italian mother who doesn't think I'm a good wife to my husband, Italian family. I'm not Italian, she said. And we're almost at breaking point. I'm now going to go home and say, hey, you know, all that Italian food you've been trying to teach me to cook for my family. I now can't eat that. And so I think she, so her, she was she a psychopath? Of course she wasn't. She was in an enormous trauma that she had already been having these problems. So you're asking her not just to change her diet, you're asking her to give her marriage up potentially. Mm. And, but one thing I did know is once she knows that she can't unknow it. And the, mm -hmm. you know, if we go against, I think it was Martin Luther King said, if we, 
if we do not do what is right and not speak out for what is right, it leaves an indelible mark on our soul. And I think he's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that connection to culture and that connection to the culture around food does have such a big impact on people and whether or not they're comfortable attempting to move to a different lifestyle, but you can veganize everything. You really can. And people think that it can't be done, but what you're actually tasting when you taste a lot of traditional dishes that you associate with that flavor. It's not actually the meat. It's just the herbs. It's the sauce. It's the, you know, the system of cooking. It's that's where flavor comes from. And I think people don't recognize that until they go vegan and then they go, Oh, so you just, that's rosemary. That's not lamb that tastes like that. It's rosemary. So yeah. Yeah. I think so very much so. And we've also got to realize that there is a huge addictive factor to what people eat, particularly, you know, um, animal-based products because how the microbiome in the stomach is actually affected. I mean, things like eating dairy and creams and cheeses, people say, oh, I can't give up cheese. There's a reason for that is because they have um, endomorphins in them. And so this is the saddest thing that really should turn a vegetarian vegan right away. It certainly would have done it for me is, is they are produced in the mother's milk so that the baby calf will follow the mother. And then we get it and we're addicted to the milk. What have we done as human beings that mean that we are addicted to something that little baby animals are meant to be following their mums and we take those animals off them? We're better than this, and we're better than this, aren't we, as human beings? How have we ever been so lied to that this is our reality? It's just so obscene, it really is. And also, people have got to realize I think it's in Australia, probably around the world, is 80% of pharmaceuticals before you buy an aspirin go into the production of meat, egg, fish, and chicken because the conditions under which those foods are produced are so disease ridden. If not, they didn't have those. So already you're, you're addicted to drugs, mm. you know, that's, and, and therefore you, you try and move these out your diet. You're going to feel a little bit strange and be like, Oh, I'm low in iron. That's not your problem. Your liver's been storing that iron for a long time. That's not going to happen overnight. It's because mm. you're having to adjust. And once you do that, um, I make my own cheese actually out of macadamia nuts and cashews and and you can have all the flavor all the taste without all the sickliness and the you know conditions that are causing diabetes actually and things like that but I think that there is a general shift there's a general move I think there are so many more people going vegan than there used to be and it has become so much easier and there are so many more companies propping up so it's just it's a great time to go vegan for anyone out there. It's a great time to try more vegan food. It's a great time to just, you know, give it a go. Like my partner, Daniel, he did a veganuary this year and he, he stayed vegan because it is easy. And he did, he realized it once he did veganuary. Well, look, thank you so much for being on the show today, Claire. It's just been such a fantastic chat. I'm sure that our listeners really appreciated it. We can, we're going to drop a link for both the books and for your website into the show notes and people can go check you out there. Yeah, but please do. And I think, you know, with the myths thing, there is actually a free four part course, which is veganpsychologist.com forward slash myths, M-Y-T-H-S. It'll get you to get that four part free sort of program to get the bit of the ha moment there. And one thing I'll just say is another hidden little benefit is um, because I gave up, I didn't have any dairy for oh, probably 25 years or 30 years. Um, I haven't actually been to a doctor for 26 years. I don't even have a doctor. 
actually when that happens and you have a whole food plant-based diet with a good amount of pizza here and, and a glass of beer and everything else, which I also indulge in, is um, the reality is your body is not fighting itself. Mm. You know, you're bringing it back to that level. And so that's one of the hidden extras. And so you can still have your cheese and biscuits without all the, all the damage. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on today, Claire. This has just been so wonderful. And we really appreciate having your expertise on the podcast. Thank you. That was Claire Mann, author of Vistopia, Being Vegan in a Non-Vegan World and Myths of Choice. I hope that you guys enjoyed this week's episode. If you are listening to the podcast and enjoying it, please go ahead and leave us a little rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Click that subscribe button and we will catch you in a week. Bye.